0: Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Excommunication Station. Today I have an interview with Brent Detweiler, who was a former leader and founding member of SGM and uh, is very knowledgeable of the situation with CJ Mahaney and Joshua Harrison the cover-up of the sexual abuse allegations Brent spent many years within that organization and he's going to bring his knowledge of what he knows um, history wise as well as um, when it comes to the sexual abuse cover-up and the fight that he has been going on for years uh, to restore the name of Jesus to faith and these people that were hurt by faith now that might not mean so much to somebody like you or me um, while Brett was talking I I, I definitely felt uh, moved by what he had to say and that his his cause was was righteous to him and I admire that. Uh, he also understands the damage that people like Joshua Harris, CJ Mahaney, and uh, go on down the list of people that have hurt uh, hurt us, I'm going to say us because that's who it is, hurt us um, in the name of God, uh, in the name of Jesus. And uh, there are people out there And I think we've acknowledged it on the show That are doing the Lord's work And doing the stuff that we always thought We were supposed to be doing as Christians um, And uh, thank you Brent For coming on And I really appreciate it And uh, yeah So with that let's start the interview I wonder what would happen if I
1: Help me get over it. Help me get Seen it. Make me into a sincere to the cough hopeless hypocrite I can
0: Yeah, I've, I've li- I grew up in the Lehigh Valley, so Allentown, Easton, Bethlehem, and then uh, I lived in Chicago for four years, and then I've been here pretty much ever since, so
1: uh-huh. yeah, I enjoy you it. Did. You may or may not know, I'm from southeastern Pennsylvania. Oh, where at? Yeah, I was born and raised in Telford. Okay, I know where that is. S- Satterton High School. okay. You know, so the whole Lehigh Valley and... Mm-hmm. Quakertown, yeah. Lansdale, Hatfield, that whole area. Right. That's where uh, I was raised. I lived in
0: Southerdon for six months or so. Uh, okay. When I was, uh, I took a job uh, in Red Hill. Uh-huh. I had to drive back and forth from there for about six months. And then I moved to Chicago because I couldn't, couldn't take it anymore. So uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. That's very cool. I, that uh, It's a, I love having four seasons. So um, right yeah. So and you you're
1: in Arizona now? I'm in Phoenix. So it's a Phoenix. very big okay. difference. Yes. In the Phoenix oh, area. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, this um, time
1: this time of the year is beautiful, but uh, you know, the summers definitely are more difficult.
0: Yeah, I can't handle the heat. I'm not a good heat person. Um But uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. And thank you for your uh, correspondence back and forth. I really appreciate it. Um, You know, we don't, I haven't come across a ton of, a a lot of media outlets, even podcasts as small as we are talking about the negative impacts of uh, like Joshua Harris uh, when it came to the cover up of the sexual abuse allegations, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, I I had Shannon on and uh, and reached out to you and asked you if you could clarify, maybe give us a more direct understanding of 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 what happened, what went on. Um, but I'd like to get some background information on, on you. Uh, sure. If we could start there. Yeah. Um, so, you're a founding member of uh, Covenant?
1: Is yes. That so true? I'm okay. Found, founding member of what was called back then People of Destiny International. Okay. We, be, we began that in 1982. I was pastoring a church up in Western Pennsylvania. And then CJ and Larry were down in the DC area. And Mm -hmm. they were leading a church that went by a very simple name back then called Gathering of Believers. It's now called Covenant Life Church. And so the two of us merged our, didn't merge our churches, but we came together and began then People of Destiny, which is now Sovereign Grace Churches, incorporated in 1982. Okay. Okay. Then I served on the board of directors for 25 years although we typically refer to ourselves as a leadership team, but mm-hmm. it was legally the board
0: of directors also. Now, were you still based in that church, church in Western Pennsylvania, or did you relocate to D.C., or what was with that? In
1: 1982, when we began, yes, Sovereign Grace Ministries, I moved to D.C. Okay. And so it was really Larry, C.J., and myself who started the ministry at that time.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, what was your um? What was your goal, uh, with with the ministry at the time? You guys were all pretty pretty young, and, right. and uh, so what was what was your goal in ministry at the time?
1: Well, the goal was pretty simple. I mean, we just really loved Jesus. You know, our lives had been wonderfully changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were all converted during the Jesus movement. Mm -hmm. And so there was a really a mighty move of God during those years where hundreds of thousands of young people like ourselves, you know, were getting saved, Mm -hmm. coming to understand the gospel. And so, you know, our aspiration at that point in time was, you know, simply to declare the gospel and start churches. So I mean, we were very simple. It's kind of like if it's in the Bible, let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. So we read the Book of Acts. It's kind of like, hey, wow, look at that—they started churches.
0: Was there any type of push or any type of belief of of not taking seminary or the collegiate route towards being yeah. a pastor?
1: Yeah, at that point in time. Uh, you know, Larry and CJ themselves had no, you know, formal theological background or training, and uh, I it might be an overstatement to say we looked down upon that, but on the other hand, that was not something that was encouraged, so on the whole, we saw that as unnecessary. Okay, however, in my case, I was very fortunate. In the kindness of god where i did go to seminary and so i had my three-year degree and was trained in the languages and earned okay. my masters of divinity and so you know part of my involvement was to kind of really bring the doctrinal depth that was so lacking you know yeah. in the charismatic movement in the jesus movement
0: and I, I i was just going to ask where is at what point in time do those two ideologies butt heads? Um, is it is it something that's right off the bat? Is it something that's um, where you're taken as with your degree and knowledge as more like an overseer or more of uh, the voice of reason in the room, or or, or uh-huh. what what is? What is your role as somebody right. that, that actually has that degree?
1: Right. Well, uh, back in those days, you know, my role was to really lay the theological foundations for the movement. Okay. And so when I got there, I began what was called the Leadership Training School, and it was really the first attempt to formally teach Christian doctrine, classical mm-hmm. Christian doctrine, you know, to members or up-and-coming leaders within Covenant Life Church. And uh, then not too many years later, I began what was called the pastor's college, or then it was called the leadership training school. Mm -hmm. But it was a precursor to the pastor's college. And in 1987, I wrote our initial statement of faith. And, and, you know, throughout all those early years, and actually up until I left, you know, I was the one who was able to, uh, you know, pass on my knowledge and ongoing studies as it pertained to Christian doctrine, church history yeah. and the like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm
0: Reading over your emails, you remind me a lot of my wife in the way that like everything's by the book <laughs> and like, like uh-huh. this is what it is and, and this isn't, this is what it's not. And, and right. it's, it's very, very direct and very honest and um it's you don't always see that when it comes to people speaking to mm. just leadership in general as we've you know mm. seen um but yeah i re- i do appreciate that because you don't really beat around the bush mm. a lot of the time when it comes to a lot of this stuff and uh mm. it 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 helps out um so Were there any initial? What were the initial warning signs with the church that that started popping up where you were concerned? Mm-hmm. Not just with sexual allegations, sexual abuse allegations, but right. just in general with like power dynamics and everything like that.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I had a great affection for CJ and for Larry, mm-hmm. and actually for all the men. I mean, we we really. Uh, we're blessed from the very beginning. We had genuine friendships, I would say. Uh, we were having a lot of fun serving the Lord together. Uh, so those were great years. I mean, I had to expose the ministry. Uh, but I still have, you know, fond recollections yeah. of so much that we were doing. Uh, you know, the warning signs, in a sense, you know, I wouldn't have called them warning signs. But we're there from the very beginning. So, you know, I thought very highly of Larry and CJ, you know, when we began the yeah. ministry, both men extremely gifted, wonderfully graced of God. And yet, you know, there was competition between the two of them from the very <laughs> beginning. And so Larry tended to take CJ's bright ideas and present them as his own. And then okay. CJ would be tempted to become bitter because Larry wasn't giving him credit. And in the midst of that kind of a dynamic, I was the one that they would turn things over to, to help them walk through their conflicts yeah. and their conflicts were pretty regular. And it was typically over those kinds of issues where I would say, now, as I look back you know, selfish ambition was at work in both their hearts. And it was kind of, who's going to be the greatest amongst us, you know, it's going to be Larry, going to be CJ, you know, and Larry was our leader from the beginning, you know, but CJ was the number two man, but, you know, CJ was uh, gifted in ways that Larry wasn't. And in time we turned the ministry over to CJ in 1991. And so that's a whole story in and of itself, but to answer your question, uh, you know, there were issues there in their hearts from the very beginning. They tried to work at it, you know, and, you know, they would uh, do their best. You had to keep cultivating their friendship. But yeah. As I look past now, if you would, the seeds of destruction were present. And unfortunately, they just didn't put them to death and you know, as it says in Colossians. And so that ended up, you know, creating problems so that Larry left in 97. Yeah. And then those issues of character that were there with CJ from the very beginning, unfortunately, over time began to grow and to worsen and to deepen. And then that's where two decades later, you know, I had to begin to address them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, When did you start addressing those issues um mm-hmm. now i know you have documentation of, of dressing them were they dressed uh personally first or were they uh, addressed with documentation first
1: right well over the years <clears throat> you know i was kind of like uh, as i've mentioned the go between yeah. between larry and cj and you know after larry left and for many of those 25 years i was on the board i was a number two man And so I was probably the I was the closest to CJ in terms of what was happening on the Sovereign Grace side of the ledger. So Mm -hmm. CJ was a part of Covenant Life Church. So he had the elders around him. You know, on the Sovereign Grace side, uh, I was, you know, his closest confidant. Yeah. So never in a million years did I ever think, you know, everything I knew you know, would one day be used to have to expose these men, I was yeah. kind of the unofficial historian and archivist. And mm. again, that wasn't because I ever thought I'd have to use that material. It was just kind of part of my responsibilities, official and unofficial. Yeah. And so over the years, I was always involved in trying to care for CJ soul, you know, having to raise issues with him, you know, here and there along the way. And, uh, but it was more informal as a friend. Uh, But finally, in the year 2000, things were going on that just increasingly concerned me. Mm -hmm. And in particular, uh, at that point in time, our chief administrator, we called him the executive director, who was Bo was beginning to raise issues about uh, CJ's leadership style in particular that, you know, CJ could be impulsive, independent, act on his own. And, uh, Bo is trying to kind of manage the movement and, <laughs> yeah. you know, decisions are being made that he's not informed of and others aren't being involved like me or whomever. And so anyway, see, C- uh, Bo began to raise those issues and, uh, CJ did not like that. And yeah. So- yeah anyway, the long and short of it is CJ began to treat Bo in some abusive ways. And so finally, you know, I got involved. And so CJ asked me because he had a very high degree of trust and confidence in me to kind of be the go between between the two of them. And so I began to do that, you know, with the full support and backing of Dave Harvey, Steve Shank, who were on the leadership team Mm -hmm. also. And came to the conclusion that 80% of the fault was with CJ and 20% of the fault was with Bo, you know, and CJ did not like my finding. Okay. And it was at that point where CJ still remember it. at one of our uh, leadership meetings basically just fired me, (laughs) not, (laughs) not from my position, but from, you know, this investigation and just said, it's over, it's done. And so, yeah. Sometimes I look back, and that could be CJ, you know, where it's just CJ. What are you doing? No, you can't do this. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, we were friends, and yeah, we just shake our heads in unbelief. But at that point in time, I thought, you know, this this can't. This is getting worse, mm-hmm. and so anyway from 2000 to 2004, I began to in a more formal way, raise issues with CJ. So now we're turning up the heat. Yeah, it's all private. It's all confidential. You know, I have the full backing of Dave Harvey and Steve Shank at that point in time. Uh, CJ ended up demoting Bo Latinsky, which is what would inevitably happen. Yeah, that was wrong. It shouldn't yeah. have happened. So I just began to say, okay, we've got to increasingly address this. And so long story short, over those four years, uh, I began to do that. It culminated in August of 2004, when I brought together all the top leaders from Covenant Life Church and all the top leaders from Sovereign Grace. And we sat down with CJ for about a four hour meeting and it was really kind of a crisis intervention meeting where now we're really raising these issues with CJ. Nothing to do with sexual abuse, just having to do with his pride, his arrogance, his hypocrisy, and what appeared to be growing deceit, which initially I just found hard to believe that this guy was lying to us. You know, my friend is lying to us. And so, I went into that meeting. It was really a turning point because I knew even though we were close, I was a number two guy had been a part of things from the very beginning that this could end up with my head on the chopping block. (laughs) I was aware of that. And yet I thought it's worth it because we get CJ's attention. Uh, This could make just a huge difference. And Joshua Harris was a part of that meeting. Uh, That meeting was in August. It was in September that Josh became the senior pastor of Covenant Life Church. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, Josh is now, you know, has a real place of prominence, and he's about to assume, you know, CJ's position. So it's that next month that it's being turned over to Josh. And so Josh was there, you know, he was a part of all of it he saw the issues with CJ and in the meeting, he affirmed those issues. And at the end of the meeting, he was given the assignment effectively by us to really get in there and hold CJ accountable, but he never did so. And that's part part of the story.
0: Okay. Uh, How many people were in that meeting roughly?
1: Let's see. uh, It was Joshua Harris uh, Grant Lehman, Kenneth Maresco. Uh, yeah, let's see. One of oh, Bob Coughlin that was from the Covenant Life side, yeah. and then it was myself, Steve Harvey, Steve Shank, and Pat Ennis who had become the new executive director. So there were eight of us and CJ, so nine okay. total.
0: And how many on in that group were? I don't want to say on your side, but like how many of them saw these issues that needed to be addressed in right away?
1: All of them. All of them. All of them. And even,
0: even Joshua Harris.
1: Yes. So, uh, you know, there may have been an illustration here or there where there's some difference, Mm -hmm. but on the whole, all of us were in agreement. Okay. And so... You know, in one sense, after the meeting, as guys were saying, hey, Brent, thanks for leading the meeting. We appreciate it, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm thinking, okay, on the surface, in some ways, it appears like it went well. Yeah. Because effectively, just kind of nodding his head. A couple times, he uh, reacted angrily. uh, But then he would kind of catch himself, you know, and I think he knew, okay, (laughs) I've got exercise care here. But as I was leaving the meeting, I just thought, you know, on the surface, it appears that it went well. But I don't think it really did. I think CJ is really struggling in his heart and is deeply offended. And sure enough, I mean, like the next day CJ went to work and uh, undermining everything about the meaning meeting yeah and over a period of 3 years turning those very guys against me. Mhm.
0: <sighs> okay. Uh can I backtrack a little bit to sure. when when how and why was Joshua Harris picked to come to Covenant?
1: Mm-hmm. As best
0: as you understand it.
1: Right. Well, if you listen to um Mike Cospers' podcast, a guy named um uh, I can't remember his name. Hanson, for Colin Hanson, referred to Josh as the Wonder Boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so Josh, you know, extremely talented, 17. He starts New Attitude Ministries. You know, it's a smashing success. Mm-hmm. You know, age 21, he releases the book, I Kiss yeah. Dating Goodbye. His conferences are growing. He meets CJ, I think, in 91. They begin okay. to... You know, they began a friendship relationship. And then I guess it was in 95, you know, that Josh moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, you know, uh, lived in CJ's basement, you know, kind of uh, CJ became his mentor. Mm -hmm. Josh became his disciple. And at that point in time, Josh was just an intern. But, you know, quickly he became a pastor, pastoral intern. And then uh, I forget the exact year, but he became the executive pastor of Covenant Life Church. So he was CJ's right hand man. And then in 2004, he became the senior pastor. Yeah. And then Josh was uh, being positioned by CJ to take over Sovereign Grace Ministries when CJ turned 60, which would have been, I'm not sure how many years later. So, I mean, Josh was central and Josh was up to the task. He was young, but I mean, he had everything it took.
0: Yeah, yeah um so I just had a question it just slipped my mind. Uh, did he attend or did he go through any of your training with your Bible school or anything
1: like right. that? He didn't and oh. that okay that that was terribly unwise. Yeah, I mean, when Josh arrived, Uh, you know, he had cut back on some of his new attitude stuff yeah. and, uh, you know, was there to be trained, but, uh, he didn't attend the the pastor's college. And I went to CJ and I was shocked. And I said, CJ, why, why isn't Josh in the pastor's college? I mean, everybody goes to the pastor's college, you know, and basically CJ said to me, well, Josh is an exception, you know, I'm going to train him personally. Okay, And, uh, you know, he's so gifted. And with my tutelage, I just said, CJ, you know, that's a mistake. You know, Josh should be going through all of this. He really yeah. should. And I went back to CJ the following year and just said, hey, CJ, you know, let's get Josh into pastor's college. And at that point, CJ became offended at me over that issue. But I think that was a real downfall because, you know, when when Josh – came up with, I think it was the excuse to go to Regent yeah. uh, Seminary and, you know, to get out of there, yeah. um, you know, his reason was, well, you know, I never had a seminary in education, but even though the pastor's college wasn't a three-year or even two-year program, you know, I, I can tell you, I mean, I designed the curriculum, yeah, and you know, the curriculum was comprised of, you know, the best books, that you read and go through in seminary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he would have, you know, really been rooted grounded in Koine Greek and church history. And he would have gotten a wonderful introduction, you know, mm-hmm. to Christian doctrine across the board, something he could have built on from the rest of his life. Yeah.
0: How but how much, how much of I'm going to assume that well, we already covered that CJ didn't go to seminary. Did he go right. through any of your training other than like like what would be like on the job or just right. in conversing with you? Was there any anything that right. you set down for him to learn?
1: He would he would occasionally take courses, normally by guest speakers. And so when okay. a big name guest speaker came in, like Wayne Grudem or Jerry Bridges or whoever it might be. He would go there um typically he wasn't coming to the classes you know mm-hmm. that others like myself were doing uh you know cj is a very smart individual mm-hmm. and he's a voracious reader and so you know in many ways he was self-educated yeah and uh, and so uh you know while he never went to bible college or seminary. Nevertheless, he, he was well read. Uh, and, um, and then the thing I always did, we would have regular leadership retreats, and okay. as part of those leadership retreats, whereas like CJ, Dave, Steve, myself, Pat Ennis, uh, we would do theological studies. And so I would bring a topic and an outline that we would go through so I was able to bring theological education to those men, and then I did a lot of that kind of teaching at what we initially called our Elder's Week of Study, which was okay. again kind of a precursor. So CJ was exposed to my doctrinal teaching and would have benefited from it, but he never went through the pastor's college from beginning to end.
0: Yeah, somebody can be a voracious reader, doesn't mean they implement implement everything that they learn,
1: you know. No, so, that's the problem. I know yeah, a lot of yeah. really really learning men who don't apply what they teach. Yeah. Yeah. That's the big issue. Yeah. So,
0: um do you think that the meeting that you all had had any uh influence on Joshua Harris becoming the senior pastor so quickly or or like you said it was soon after, right?
1: Uh, well, he had already, it was already known that he was going to become the senior pastor okay, before that right. meeting. Okay. So I think CJ had announced that a year ahead and okay. said, you know, a year from now, I'm going to be okay. turning the church over to Josh. But, you know, what ended up happening on the Josh side as we move ahead here is, you know, Josh really agreed, I said the other men in the room, to now begin to hold CJ accountable. Yeah. <clears throat> because what came out in that August 2004 meeting was that we on the Sovereign Grace side of the ledger were speaking into C.J.'s life, but he wasn't filling the Covenant Life pastors in on what we were bringing to his attention. And We had gone back and forth over the years. Okay, who is CJ primarily accountable to us and sovereign grace or to the local pastors, the local elders? You know, and that was kind of a biblical theological issue. Okay, you know, we're an extra local ministry. Who's he prime? And, you know, we came down on the side of okay, primarily CJ, like the rest of us, our primary accountability is in our local church, the church from which we're sent. And so we would raise issues with CJ and we would say, and i talked to the guys about this and CJ would nod his head and agree to do that mm-hmm. and then not do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what came to the forefront in 2003, 2004. And that's where I really had to come to the conclusion. CJ has been deceiving us, Hmm. and this might be hard for people to understand. But it took me two to three years to conclude that CJ was deceptive, because I did have a high regard for him. Now I knew he could be pugnacious. I knew when you crossed him, uh, (laughs) you could be in real trouble. Yeah, but. Uh, I didn't see this hidden, more dark side that was deceptive. And so I remember even saying to my wife, wow, this is bad. Yeah. You know, and that's when, you know, it's just like CJ, okay, why aren't you feeling these guys in on it? And so anyway, in that 2004 meeting. You know harris and maresco and layman and coughlin the covenant life guys they all agreed we're going to start holding cj accountable and but
0: what are the with accountability comes consequences like what is the consequence for not following through on whatever you set up the accountability to be
1: right well, you know, we were looking for CJ to reconcile various relationships, you know, that type of thing, but there weren't any consequences in terms of, uh, you know, disciplinary actions or, you know, being put on probation. I yeah. mean, I I raised really in passing, not as a serious consideration, but that, you know, he may need to be put on probation as the sovereign grace uh, leader team mm-hmm. leader uh and i found out later that even mentioning that in passing really offended cj oh, oh. that i would even okay. mention, even, <laughs> mention, even mention that yeah but uh so you know josh uh said okay you know we're gonna do this but then and this is hard to put into words charles but that's 2004. From 2004 to 2007, CJ really came after me in an underhanded way. And if he could have, he would have thrown me overboard. Yeah. But since I was the number two guy, I trained all the pastors in the pastor's college. I knew everyone in the ministry. You know, I had uh, extensive responsibilities. He mm-hmm. couldn't just do that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so uh, he began to go to men like Harris and Layman and Moresco in private slander me and malign me, uh, bring things up to them that really weren't true. Effectively, began to turn their hearts against me. And even though those men saw the issues in CJ's life and had agreed to them, they backed off intentionally because they knew if you offended CJ, you were going to be demoted or even fired.
0: Yeah, And so
1: the way to advance or to live a life of peace and comfort was to stay in CJ's good graces. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Josh decided to do. And in my writings, you know, when all this came to the forefront in 2011. That's when I sent out the documents. You know, that's when Josh wrote me in private and just said, you know, Brent, since 2004, so that's seven years now 2011. I stopped raising things with CJ, you know, I never followed through. Yeah, I didn't want to offend him. I didn't want to walk through what I knew that would involved. And, you know, I'm sorry. And um, because you know, during those years, then boy, oh, boy, I'll tell you, you know, CJ uh, really came at me with yeah. everything he had. And yeah, you know, it was brutal. I mean, I could yeah. give many illustrations. But it was quite brutal. And he primarily used like Bob Coffin, uh, who was a dear friend. Bob was on my staff mm-hmm. for many years as my associate, led worship, lived across the street. Yeah, you know, so it's a tough thing, you know, when guys, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you know, like that, really turn against you, and it's really underhanded and devious, and and really abusive in the true sense i mean real spiritual abuse and you love these guys you worked with them they were your friends you respected them in many ways you know they're very gifted and all of a sudden you know you're going through it and it's all about just protecting their reputation yeah yeah it's all about their ambition yeah it's all you know and it's like okay even brent even though brent helped to found this and so forth um we're going after them. Mm-hmm. And that's I'm sorry do.
0: about all that because, uh, <laughs> you know, I think, I think it's all, I mean, just going through and reading everybody's stories and what they went through at, uh, at Covenant and SGM, like, it, I think it's been proving you right. Mm. And you know, that uh, there were, were issues mm. and um, yeah. Um, when, were the first allegations of sexual abuse brought up mm-hmm. into the church. Right. And I assume since you're in leadership, they came through, came through the leadership chain. Am, right. am I right to assume that or was it uh, keep in secret and then come out or, or, or what? Explain it to
1: me. <laughs> right. Well, you're perfectly correct. in assuming that that yeah. was the case. But in fact, it wasn't the case. And so CJ hid from me his knowledge of the sexual abuse.
0: Oh, my God. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Okay. And so in 2009, uh, I left Sovereign Grace Mm -hmm. as a matter of conscience. Actually, I resigned from the board in 2007, Mm -hmm. Uh, as a matter of conscience, I still love Sovereign Grace, even though I could no longer work for CJ. I could no longer serve on the board of directors. And so Mm -hmm. I resigned in November 2007. But, you know, my whole life, my whole adult life, my whole ministerial life, you know, was in Sovereign Grace. And all my friends, all my family's friends, you know, that was our life. And I still had great affection, you know, for what we were doing, and uh, great hope for what we were doing. And so I planted a church. But uh, long and short of it was, CJ was not content to even allow me to just leave a church, and began to uh, raise up false witnesses against me and come after me. And so anyway, Mm. long and short of it is, I left Sovereign Grace in two thousand and nine. But I still had. great affection for the ministry, even though Mm -hmm. I could no longer be a part of it. And I knew there were still good men in the ministry, you know, who just weren't aware of what was going on. And so that's when I began to write these documents. But I never intended for the documents to go public. These were private documents. And I'm basically, with love and affection and respect, but clearly and firmly and justly, Making the case. Yeah, here yeah. are the issues, and I was addressing issues of corruption in general. It had nothing to do with sexual abuse. I didn't know about it, yeah. but it was CJ's deceit, heavy-handedness, independence, arrogance, hypocrisy. Those were the issues. His unteachableness. Every you know his lack of accountability. Everything we believed in. Everything CJ taught. And that's what I was addressing, you know. So finally, you know, after writing 600 pages, CJ and I mentioned now, because this was going to Joshua Harris and the key guys at Covenant Life and the key guys in Sovereign Grace. So they're being copied on all this stuff. Yeah, They have the 600 pages. And I mention that I may, I just mentioned, I may need to pass this on to the pastor's, CJ, if you don't step down and make a public confession and ask forgiveness of these things. And it was at that point, and it wasn't a threat. I wasn't trying to leverage them. Yeah, It was just, I may need to do this. This is really serious, guys. And it was at that point in July 2011 where CJ pretentiously took a leave of absence and Mm -hmm. announced that I'm taking a leave of absence because some former leaders have brought to my attention some issues and I want to be just really, really humble and do self examination. And the real motivation was to kind of preempt me sending out the documents. Mm -hmm. And so when he did that, that was, in the best sense, the straw that broke the camel's back. I just realized, okay, now even the way he's announcing this and positioning himself as a man of humility yeah. uh, is just really deceit, real yeah. pure oh, yeah. deceit. And so at that point, I sent out the documents to all 300 pastors, you know, and over the course of the next two years, 40 churches left, 12,000 people wow. left, 100 pastors left, at least 300 care group leaders left. Wow. And so, you know, it really impacted people because it was all documented. I mean, it's just indisputable. It wasn't like it could be refuted. And yet, I mean, at that point, you know, Sovereign Grace came after me with everything, including the kitchen sink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. And so anyway, fast forward two years, you know, I've now been exposing uh, Sovereign Grace and all the national leaders that CJ recruited to defend him. I'm sending them the evidence, but they refuse to read it. So Al Mulder, John Piper, Wayne Grudem, yeah. Mark Dever, Ligan Duncan, I mean, all the big names, all the big names, Gospel Coalition, you know, mm-hmm. T4G, all these men are speaking out against me standing with cj i knew many of these men i've been in piper's home you know and yet they would not meet with me they would not talk with me and they would not read the evidence and so they're defending cj as a man of integrity and you know claiming that my writings are gossip and slander and that i'm obviously vindictive and these materials are spurious and so yeah it was really uh, an onslaught, but, you know, I kept at it by the grace of God. I mean, only the Lord can sustain you through that type of thing. And he did. And I thought, okay, you know, now I'm getting to a place where I think I've said all I need to say, and then the lawsuit comes out and now I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And that was in 2013, you know, the lawsuit comes out. The second amended complaint comes out in may and it has 11 plaintiffs or victims. And I know most of them. I knew their parents. I knew the kids. I didn't know they had been abused. But I knew the majority of them. And, you know, as I'm reading it, and it's horrific, it's 46 pages. As I read it, I just think, CJ never told me about any of this. He hid it from
0: me. And how much do you, did he? I mean, of course, his name's on mm-hmm. the the lawsuit. But right. how how many of these did he know? And how did he manage to keep
1: them so quiet? Right. Well, you know, at that point, he knew all of them. Mm-hmm. So I he was involved you know, it was under his leadership that all these were covered up. Yeah, yeah. And so he would interact with the pastors, you know, be it Mark Mullery over in Virginia, and so the plaintiffs who were from Virginia, and then he's working with Steve Shank and Kenneth Maresco, who are also involved with the victims in Virginia, and so they're carrying out CJ's directives. So in one case... One of the pastors in the Virginia church, uh, his son was alleged to have been involved in abuse. Mm-hmm. And the pastors acknowledge that in closed meetings where I have recordings of it and referred to this. So they remove the pastor, but they move him to another state in another church. They don't inform the church. And that kind of thing is happening in other churches. It happened in the Ohio church where they set up a hush fund to, uh, in a sense, bribe the pastor, the associate pastor whose son was abused by the senior pastor's son, repeatedly sodomized. And CJ sets up a hush fund and they move that guy to the church in Baltimore. And then they move that guy to uh, again, second time to the church in Marlton, New Jersey. They don't tell anybody about it. Nobody's warned. I now have new evidence that this guy who was the sodomite, who was the senior pastor's son, then sexually abused uh teenage girl and that type of thing was happening. I'm totally unaware of all this stuff. And this is matter of fact material, this is not, yeah spurious i mean yeah you know my documents at times are extensive Yeah, they are detailed and they can be you know laborious to get through (laughs) but you know i do not i do not um peddle slander yeah you know i I, my conscience is informed by scripture and to bear false witness is very serious i take the ninth commandment very Mm -hmm. seriously. And I always make every attempt to go to individuals in private with the evidence, give them every opportunity to repent. And it's only after repeated tries and clearly documented evidence that I no longer have a choice. I have to go public. And so that's always been my approach. So the lawsuit comes out and now I'm in contact with these victims, you know. And at the mm-hmm. same time, Rachel Denhollander gets a hold of me, you know, who uh, was not a part of Sovereign Grace, but she loved our ministry. And so she listened to all her materials. Yeah. She loved CJ. She loved Joshua Harris and she gets a hold of me. And she says, Brent, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking about going public with my story about Larry Nasser." you know, who had sexually abused her. Mm-hmm. I know he was the gymnast for the Olympic team. And of course, that's an international story. And she says, if I do, I want to go public on Sovereign Grace. I've read everything you've ever written. Yeah, And it's like, wow. Now, this is amazing because uh, she has a bully pulpit that exceeds yeah. mine.
0: Yeah,
1: And so yeah. she did begin to speak out. But, you know, long and short of it is, I didn't know anything about any of this. And the reason was in 1995, you know, so I'm still, you know, at the heart and soul, Sovereign Grace on the leadership team and all that stuff. A senior pastor came to me and said, hey, we have this situation where one of our members has abused somebody in the church. What do we do, you know? And so I said, well, one of the things you have to do is immediately report him to the police. And get them involved, and they did. And the guy was arrested, tried, and sent to jail for thirty or forty years, twenty or thirty years. Yes. And then again in two thousand, a pastor approached me. Same scenario, member of the church, said the same thing, tried, convicted, went to jail for twenty or thirty years. And so those are the kinds of things, you know. I'm updating CJ on, yeah, because this is happening in our churches, you know, and uh, so he knows. I have a record of demanding, you know, senior pastors report this. And so, if CJ had told me about any of this, I would have required. And if he hadn't gone, I would have gone. And not only that, uh, you know, I had a legal fiduciary, not only spiritual responsibility for the churches. And so, I never thought of it in these terms in the sense of, you know, hey, if we don't report, we could be, you know, lawsuit could be, I didn't think in those terms, but that was true. You know, for me, it was just, this is right. Mm Yeah. This is commanded Mm -hmm. in scripture. You can't cover this stuff up. But in those days, you know, there was, you know, CJ tended to think of law enforcement as not helpful and not necessary. Okay. So, you know, CJ would have seen them as more adversarial, but really what was going on was C.J., Joshua Harris, and all those guys didn't want the abuse that was going on in covenant life and then in sovereign grace to be known because of reputational harm
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the fact that um, it wasn't handled properly, Yeah. yeah. And that people would leave. And when people leave money leaves. Yeah. And the press gets a hold of it. And so the motivation to cover all this up was not in any way commendatory. It was about reputation, people, image, money. And God, and his sovereignty just said, I've had enough. Yeah. You covered yeah. this up, I'm going to expose it, you know, and he did. Yeah. And I, you know, as I look at it, I just stand back and all says this is amazing Lord, you know, you've exposed this. And um, it's still being exposed. You know, I, yeah. I still, you know, I got a call the other night from somebody. And, you know, normally, when people call them, there's no idea, I don't answer, but I did. And I you was know, just saying, Brent, we just wrote, like, we just read this article that you wrote you know, years mm-hmm. ago, and we just saw it. We didn't even know about any of this stuff. And for years and years and years, our pastors in Saba Grace just were slandering you left and yeah. right, you know, yeah. don't read his material, don't go to his social profile. Yeah. And we just yeah. read, and now incredible, and they were lying to us and deceiving us. So it's amazing, the word is still getting out. And finally, after 10 years of work, Charles, uh, and real hostility, I can report after all that, now the vast majority of those leaders who stood against me, the Molders, the Devers, the Duncans, etc., cetera, uh, the Gospel Coalition, You know most of those men have now severed personal ties with cj yeah and also severed ties with sovereign grace ministries the latest being ray ortland who has been the number one supporter of cj and sovereign grace in recent years and um, he just severed ties in april and i just wrote about it recently and so there continues to be fallout, but of course the lying and the pretension of sovereign grace continues full throttle. You know their attacks on me continue full throttle. Yeah, but um, hey, we're all good. Everything's great. Everything's behind <laughs> us. None of this happened. You know, Brent's the devil, and yeah. we're we're moving on. You know. Yeah. And so uh, none of it. Yeah, there was never a conspiracy. None of this happened. And so, yeah, it's just astounding. And, you know, I pray righteously. I pray, Lord, expose it, continue to expose it, and he is.
0: Yeah, I'm, I was just talking to Shannon. She's just like, there's so many, like, mm-hmm. more people than we'll ever, like, like, she's like, I know of more people that won't come forward but statistically there's more people than we'll ever know about right and it's like yeah and that that really breaks my heart but like at the same time you know you have people like her people like you uh mm. and uh, you know a long list of people that are speaking up and you know the wheels of justice move slowly um and mm-hmm. uh i as an I don't know if I can say I'm unbiased, but just reading the your, you know, the documents and going through it and not even reading your commentary on it, but just going through the emails. Right. I don't come away, come away with that other than somebody trying to put stuff in the right line and trying to do their best to, you know do the right thing and Mm -hmm. uh i can understand why somebody who's not doing the right thing wouldn't want people to look at it um (laughs) so it's very understandable of the the attacks even though it shouldn't happen and i um i commend you for still standing up to it Mm -hmm. uh and still going forward with it and people coming forward uh yeah um yeah, I'm not. I've told you before, I'm not involved in the church or anything. But right. there's, you know, there's something there with the true vision of what Christianity is supposed to be, and right. how we're supposed to help people and 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 everything. And and uh, I, when I see somebody like you doing that in the way that you're mm-hmm. doing it, I give it a big thumbs up and a big thank mm-hmm. you. Um, thank you so very much appreciated um mm. uh and you're trying to make humanity a better place mm. and uh yeah um the only cool. other question i because we had to ask you about it in the email now that cj knew and they they sovereign grace and covenant both worked out of the same building right right okay so there's no way that CJ would have known all this stuff and Josh would have not known.
1: No, that's a okay. good question, very good. I'm glad you made that connection. No, Josh is very much a okay. part of the covenant life. Okay. Very much a part of the covenant life with uh for instance um one family in the church as part of covenant life, a prominent family. I've written about them at length, Charlie and Greer Llewellyn. Yeah, you know, according to yep. their children three of their children, their three oldest children, who have all spoken about this, their parents, physically and sexually abused, all nine of their children. Mm -hmm. I've written about this at length. There is no question about it. CJ knew all about it. And Josh also came to know all about it and covered it up. Similarly, Nathan Morales, He was in Covenant Life uh, from around 83 to 91. That's when he was abusing kids. It came to CJ's attention in 91. You know, Joshua wasn't around at that point in time. But later, uh, that abuse became known to Josh and to his board of directors. They actually contacted Morales he confessed to two of the crimes yeah and yet harris that was in 2007 didn't report it to the police okay i didn't know that and
0: that's just that makes me angry okay yeah. uh, i need to calm down because <laughs> like i looked at the nathan Ralls case and i'm like oh he wasn't in the church when josh was there josh might have known about it but like he wasn't really like I just didn't really connect the two mm-hmm. but now you're telling me this and it just makes you even angrier um right. so
1: okay yeah um, the the background to that was that morales was now a pastor okay so 2007 okay. he's a pastor and one of the victim uh uh one, the sister of one of the, the victims was tracking him on social media. And so she saw, oh my gosh, he's a pastor now. And so she goes to her dad and her dad goes to the Covenant Life elders. And now Josh is the senior pastor and says, Morales is a pastor. And so anyway, uh, you've gotta look into this. So they do find out he has no accountability He's in a Pentecostal denomination, a strange one. And they talk to him. And Morales pretends to suffer from dementia. And so he doesn't confess the specifics or details. Mm -hmm. But he does acknowledge because they've got the goods on him. Yeah, okay, I did abuse these two individuals. Now, at that point, they have a confession. Mm -hmm. Okay, it wasn't in depth, but they have a confession. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And what do they do with it? They cover it up. Now, the harm is that not only did they break the law and conspire to break the law, and a conspiracy, you know, it's one thing if an individual comes to you as an individual and you do not decide to report it. You can still get into trouble in different states, depending on how the law is written, but if you, as a group, sit down together and decide together we're not going to report this, yeah. that then is a conspiracy. Yeah, and in absolutely. many states, that's a felony. And so they conspired not to report. That's very serious. And uh, But the worst thing apart, it is that he went on to abuse boys. Yeah. Yep. In many states and different countries, and I—he uh, also married, and the first thing he did was abuse his now adopted uh, his children, his stepsons. I've written all about that. Yeah, and uh, it's all because C.J. and Harris never reported him. That this guy, for years and years and years, sexually abused boys. In five different states in the United States, because of them, and yeah. so I mean, they're guilty before the Lord, and they're also guilty before, uh, you know, law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, I'm I'm shaking right now because I'm I'm very angry right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. Uh, it's basic
1: basically the same thing like with Shannon in her story. You know yeah. her her father is abusing his oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And CJ and the pastors know about it, but because he was a key player, Jeff Truesdale, he's a key player, uh, founding member, been there from the beginning, they cover it up. And then yeah. of course, uh, the oldest daughter then goes on to abuse Shannon, and yeah. they know about that too and they don't report to that. So they cover all that up. And poor Shannon is left out to dry. And so she's not getting any help. She has no support. And it's only at age 21 where she finally now you know no longer walking with the lord has yeah feels, I, I have nowhere to go and she you know turns to outside help which i understand yeah. and you know maybe going back to why i've done this of course sovereign grace has always from the very beginning said he's vengeful he's hateful he's bitter he's resentful you know so that's what they always do they play the bitterness card they play the vengeance card mm-hmm but they do this with everybody you know who comes to yeah. them oh you're just bitter you're just proud you're just vengeful you know and this is where people feel so abused mm-hmm. because people are actually coming and they're trying to help yeah. you know hey we just have some observations we love sovereign grace we we love you guys as pastors but we have some concerns and time and time and time again and this is why God has judged sovereign grace, the pastors respond by saying, you're being proud, you're bitter, yeah. you're yeah. angry. And it's like, but even if they are, so often their observations are helpful, mm-hmm. you know, and yet sovereign grace leaders do not have the humility. And so anyway, going back to what's <laughs> really an important, really important point for me is Sovereign Grace has never been willing to engage me on the issues I've offered. I said, listen, let's do live video, live streaming my materials, and let's discuss them. And you're welcome to refute everything I've written. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let everybody, the whole world see it. Well, of course, they're not going to do it. They won't even do it in private, you know. Uh, they're terrified of what I've written. And so the only way that they can undermine me is by attacking my credibility, which is Mm -hmm. what they do with anyone. I'm not unique in that regard. (laughs) But the reason this is so important to me comes down to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is, I would have thought in days of naivety, that it was only liberal churches mm-hmm. the roman catholic church that covered up sexual abuse you know that bible believing churches would never cover up sexual abuse yeah you know because they're submitted to the authority of scripture yeah yeah you know and so if you're submitted to the teaching of scripture you would never cover up abuse it's impossible you know and so in my simplicity even stupidity (laughs) yeah i thought
0: no not stupidity it's it's not stupidity it's you know you're it's it's what we were you know what we believe and what we were taught to believe and and you think that would make common sense so i know uh, yeah right yeah
1: and so you know when i began to realize that sovereign grace my dear friends weren't submitted to the authority of scripture Mm -hmm and we're willing to lie and to deceive, and that they were more in love with the reputation than they were with Jesus Christ. And now people are stumbling. Now people are falling. Now people are aggrieved. Now the gospel is being reproached. Now Jesus Christ is being maligned and Mm -hmm. people are walking away from him, or being tempted to, or even leaving the church. Yeah. And, you know, my work is motivated by the fact that such Bible-believing people should not be in ministry, because they stumble, people like you, like Shannon, like so many others, And now the name of Christ is reproached and people lose any hope that -hmm. there are churches out there. There are churches out there. There are men of God out there. But I understand this. And so, you know, part of my quote unquote mission is, hey, throw out sovereign grace and throw out churches like sovereign grace. And you're right to expose them, but don't throw out, you know, the bona fide Church of Christ. Yeah. Especially don't throw out Jesus. You know, I mean, I just think back, I was 18 years old. I had just graduated from high school. I was Mr. Popularity. I was <laughs> on my way, you know, to succeed and all that stuff. And God was so gr- gracious to me. I heard Billy Graham preaching it's a long story, but I just became aware I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I had been brought up a Lutheran. I had never heard the gospel. And it's like, oh my goodness, I'm a cultural Christian. (laughs) You know, I'm not a genuine Christian. I I never realized how great a sinner is, that Christ took my sin, died in my place, bore my wrath so that I could be forgiven. And it's like, wow, and that was the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, I never thought I'd be in ministry, but that's what ended up happening. And so it deeply offends me, and rightly so. I mean, I hear it. Yeah. it offends the Lord that you have these men, be it C.J. Mahaney or John MacArthur, who have covered up sexual abuse and yet are fine biblical teachers in many respects. Yeah. And their hypocrisy has to be exposed yes. because it's real. These men yeah. should not even be in ministry. Yeah. So that's yeah. really my heart's burden.
0: I I hear you, and I completely understand, and I completely agree with you. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, I yeah I I moved by what you said, and I yeah mm. I I completely hear you and understand you and mm. uh you're completely right and i think as time has gone on you've been proven more right um mm. you know and not conflating an ego i'm just saying that your 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 cause is is righteous and and i completely agree with it mm. and i do appreciate it uh thank you Josh. yeah um just one quick question sure for before we go, because I have to help my wife do something real quick. Um, can you confirm that you think that that you believe that Joshua Harris left Covenant because of the allegations?
1: I think that was one of the reasons he left, most certain, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Josh was in legal jeopardy. Yeah. The prosecutors in the morales trial told some of us in the courtroom that day, that they could have arrested in the courtroom. Grant Lehman, who was Josh's executive pastor, Mm -hmm. for being part of the conspiracy to cover up Morales' crimes, because in effect, when Grant testified that he and the pastors knew about the crimes, didn't report the crimes, he confessed to conspiracy. And the assistant district attorneys uh, McCoskey and Hall wanted to prosecute layman which would have also involved the prosecution of harris and others but they didn't have permission from their boss the da the top da in montgomery county in maryland and i think some of the reason could have been because there are high ranking officials Mm -hmm. uh, in covenant life including the assistant deputy of police and detectives I think that may have influenced the DA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not to prosecute. On the other hand, I also realize that these lesser crimes, conspiracy to cover up, the resources are limited. I yeah. mean, this is what the FBI told me is that, you know, hey, we could make a case here for interstate conspiracy, but you know. Uh, we're going after bona fide sex traffickers.
0: Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, yeah, I understand that, and, it, and right. that that is terrible. But yeah, yeah, I made an off uh, the cuff joke that he left the country because of this. And, and like my other two co kind of laughed
1: about it, but like I, I yeah.
0: sort of kind of felt that way, and like right. I still kind of feel that way.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that was part of his motivation. I yeah. think also there was dissension, you know, on the pastoral staff. oh yeah,
0: know, yeah, yeah
1: as to how Josh was leading. And I think Josh was Josh was just uh I think Josh was altering now his doctrine. Mm-hmm. I think it was becoming more progressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know to what extent, you know, he now has in mind that, you know, maybe he's going to move away from the Lord, but it's obvious there's a deterioration from my perspective of Joshua's belief, and Josh, and I would say this has always been Josh's Achilles heel. One, his ambition. He's always been ambitious. Oh, now, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Josh is not belligerent like CJ, so if you cross CJ, you're going to get an earful. Yeah. You know, with Josh, He's more gentle in that regard, mm-hmm. but he's still looking out for himself and he knows how to market himself better than CJ does. And so CJ, uh, I think Josh left because he had just had enough too. Yeah, And Josh is not one who's really willing to endure hardship. And so I yeah. would say the other Achilles heel for Josh would be his sensuality, where like he told me, Brent, I just wasn't willing to go through it. I did not want the conflict. I did not want to have to address CJ,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's where there are so many things I don't want to address either. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But for me, it's a it's a matter of scriptural command and a personal conscience. I mean, I could never violate my conscience or feel like I'm transgressing scripture. Uh, But Josh could. And Mm -hmm. so I think what happened with Josh, years and years of deterioration in terms of his conscience led then to to a deterioration of his soul so that he finally got to a place where now he was so backslidden in heart he could justify divorcing Shannon, leaving the children, and pursuing homosexuality and promoting wow.
0: the lifestyle. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm not really we we haven't really dove into like where he is now. I just know about the training seminars that he was trying to do and <laughs> and everything and and that the divorce happened, but a- after that point I we we're going into that. I've just been so consumed with everything else right that it's getting there so um right. but that's where we got to leave it but i yep. really appreciate you for coming on um Thank you, Charles. and uh telling us everything uh and giving us a more you know detailed timeline of how everything happened and and how uh this was all covered up and i really appreciate it um and i will send this to you once it comes out um uh-huh. but again i really appreciate it uh thank you very much
1: well thank you for your interest your concern your great questions thank you for being willing to help to get the word out because you're thank trying to help you. people and that's what i'm trying to do too
0: yeah i think we we both agree on that one yeah. <laughs> all right thank you very right. much have a good thank one thank you all Bye right. Right. right bye-bye Bye. Again, thank you very much for Brent coming on. I really appreciate it. I know I keep saying that, but uh, to have somebody come on and talk so openly and candid about uh, their pain and struggle of, of something that they built up and that was torn down, um, that lost its way, and to find out that there was a, a, a wake of pain and destruction behind you, and instead of running from it like we've seen other people do uh brent stood up did the right thing spoke truth to power and uh, he suffered consequences of it but at the same time i think history is and i've I said it in the conversation i think history is proving that he was right and that he should be listened to um, and the victim should be listened to as well um so again thank you brent for coming on thank you for listening If you want to follow me, you can find me on Instagram at ChazXCure or 17 underscore seconds. You can listen to my other podcast that I host, that Gavin hosts, and I am his sidekick, uh, called The Holy Hour, where we talk all things Cure-related. So if you're a fan of the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, 2000s, early 2000s of the band The Cure... That might be right up your alley. Um, you can listen to Donovan's other podcast, Laughing With You, Not At You, where him and his wife talk about mental health struggles and being parents. Chrissy doesn't have a book for us today, so just go read your Bible. And, uh, yeah. Thank you for the band Iron Cheek for letting us use their song Those Heads Are Our Heads for our intro and outro music. And if you like what you hear, go listen to them. Uh, you can find them on all social medias and until then uh, something about being at peace with your heart and your spirit and everybody say
1: i like my looks i like
0: my personality I to make. almost every second that i'm away but maybe the reason